When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And welcome to another episode of Ebony and Irony. I am delighted to tell you that Monet Exchange is still struggling with her vocal cords and will not be able to join us. But we have a wonderful guest who will whisk us away from uh, Monet's ailments so that we can focus on her own. I'm just kidding. <laughs> This is uh, actually someone who uh, wears many hats and has different names as well, uh, whether she is DJing or recording dance music or working as an AIDS activist or, you know, a, a, just someone who wears many hats. Many of those many hats that she wears are shake-and-go wigs <laughs> that... Uh, she <laughs> that can be seen on display in her many videos. She's got new music out, including an album that is, you know, she's going to tell us all about it. Some of her, uh, you know, songs, bitch tracks. And I now turn the mic over to my friend, DJ Relentless, Jade Electra or Alfonso. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, I'm very excited to talk to you today. Uh, and it's always a pleasure to talk with you, Bunny, even though, um, you know, I, I never know exactly what you're going to say and how you're going to insult me, but I'm sure you will. <laughs> well, I'm sure you can take it and dish it right back. <laughs> what, what's going on with you, Miss Jade? 
Uh, I am getting ready for um, every year I produce an award show called uh, the Pazteo Awards, where we honor 10 local uh, heroes, as I call them, uh, who work in the field of HIV and AIDS. And this is here in Toronto. Uh, and um, uh, so I'm busy organizing that and getting ready for that. We, we use the evening to uh, celebrate the the 10 people uh, who are being honored, but we also partner with uh, a AIDS organization and make it a fundraiser as well for them. So okay. this, this year we're working with uh, Latino Positivos. Um, and uh, I, I try to work with a lot of the smaller organizations because they don't have as much funding. Uh, and one of the biggest problems that's going on right now with a lot of AIDS organizations is that um, it's what I call the remarketing or rebranding of AIDS, uh, where we have commercials now for meds and they're on television. So people feel like, oh, it's over or it's under control and it's not. So, and governments are going, oh, well, you know, people aren't dying like they used to, so we don't have to give as much money. And it, that's a huge problem because of we are not working towards a cure. We're just maintaining people. And that's a, you know, I, if you have a pill to keep me alive, um, because, you know, I am HIV positive and I have been since 1989, but I was diagnosed in 90. Um, if they have a pill to keep me alive and they have a pill to keep you from getting it, then they have a cure, but they're making too much money off of, you know, the disease itself. So, it's a huge problem, and I and I spend a lot of my time speaking out, trying to make sure that people understand what's going on and what needs to be done. So, yes, I don't hear many people uh, talking about a cure uh, for AIDS. Now, oddly enough, in the pat in the twenty twenty election cycle. Joe Biden was claiming that he would cure cancer, and Donald Trump was claiming that he would cure AIDS if if elected. And uh, you know, I I I don't think that either you or I have much trust in uh, what Trump says. I don't personally have much trust in what you know Biden says. I mean, maybe he knows something I don't about how close the cure for uh, cancer is, but that's an interesting take that you're giving us because, yes, it is perceived that uh, that AIDS is over when, when it is not. And, uh, and can you, for me, someone who, you know, was very uh, sexually active during the height of the AIDS crisis before there were drugs, um, and so I just stuck with condoms. And, you know, also, if you go way, 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 way back, I go a little bit further back than you, Shade. Um, if you go way back, you you will remember that one of the first drugs, AZT, uh -huh. fell out of favor because it was... It it was helping, and, and, and it, was a, it was a step. It was something that could, you know, help in some cases, but it also had negative effects that some you know, went on to believe, you know, were, uh, I mean, well, well, the negative health effects are negative. I mean, that's, well, that's all there's, there's to it. Well, when I, when I got diagnosed in 1990, uh, it's, you know, it was a completely different time and a different world. 
Um, the person who gave me my results told me, um, if I'm not religious, I might want to start. Because back then it was still a death sentence. And um, the only option was AZT, and I refused to take it. I was watching too many of my friends die on it. I, it, it was killing the virus, but it was also killing everything else, your organs and everything. Yeah, so, right. so that was the problem with it. Uh, I didn't go on meds until 2005. But I was never a partier, and I never did drugs, and I, I, I didn't drink. So I, even though I was working in the club scene, I wasn't really partaking in anything. So I was fine. Uh, and, um, you know, and I, I, I promised myself. And once I got a doctor, because of also the other thing was I didn't have health care when I lived in New York. Or I didn't have health care at all <laughs> when I lived in Florida either. Um, so, you know, if anything had happened to me, that would have been, you know, it would have came out of my pocket. So I, I really tried to make sure that I took care of myself as best as I could. Mm -hmm. uh, now that I'm in Canada and I actually have health care, it is nice to actually be able to go to a doctor when I think something is not right or whatever. But before I got here, um, it was kind of, you know, hit or miss. And I had to kind of guess, okay, am I okay here or whatever? And finally... I did make it over to Cal and Lord, uh, and uh, they helped me get on a program called ADAP, and um, they, you know, that's how I started taking meds uh, in 2005 because of my T cells that finally took a dip into AIDS territory, which uh, it used to be below 200, but now they've redone something and now undetectable. Like with the meds now, when you become undetectable. There's, um, they're counting a lot lower, so I don't know what that number is now, but um, it's very easy to not be undetectable now with the new system of what they're using for counting. So okay. I, I just want to I want to butt in a little bit because I, I want to make sure everybody is on the same page. And sometimes I have a limited understanding of prep, but when you say that people are down because of, of the meds, you mean in terms of, of, uh, white blood cell count? What, 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 it's, what? It's the virus itself. The, the, virus the itself. yeah, the, the, how many replications of the virus are there in your system? So, um, and your white blood cells are, have to be a certain number up. So mm -hmm. like, uh, the last time I was at the doctor, uh, mine was like 772. So that's a good number. And okay. so I'm, I'm, I'm undetectable. So at a certain point, once your T cells go uh, below a certain number, which that number has changed now, it used to be 200. I don't know what it is now, but um, uh, in once your T cells dip below that, you are considered to be full-blown AIDS. Okay. Um, I, I came up in a time in New York with like Dorian Corey and the Electrifying Grace. These were all the queens that sort of kind of took me in and helped me when I first got to New York. And the whole concept of Dorian Corey had four T cells when when she died. Like I, I couldn't even imagine. Like she was operating and doing shows and doing everything. She only had four T cells, and they were feeding her drugs. Because uh, we were we worked at Sally's, and that there was a bunch of drugs circulating around. Um, you are kidding! At a trans bar? <laughs> oh my god! In Times Square? Oh! I, 
Oh, I know. <laughs> well, there there were always less drugs there when I did not show up. <laughs> so okay. there's that. There's that. Well, um, you know, I, I would love to hear more about Dorian, but I, I just want for in case we have straight audience members, I just want to break it down. So when when so you're talking about when you get infected with HIV. Right. Uh, and 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 it 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 can take a long time for that to develop into full blown AIDS, but these drugs prevent it from going that far to full blown AIDS, where your body is at risk for all sorts of opportunistic infections, whether that be pneumonia, whether that be you know a Kaposi's sarcoma, which I never pronounce right, um, <laughs> you, you, you you know uh, um. Parker Posey, sir, come on. <laughs> um, I, I did torment uh, Parker Posey at Christmas dinner one year oh my God. Uh, on some edibles talking about uh, Parker Posey. Anyway, you know, that's, yeah, that's, that's why I don't get invited to many parties, folks, but... Um, <laughs> at, 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 at any rate, is, is that is that basically the assumption? It keeps your so. So when you say you equals you, which means undetectable equals untransmissible. Tell us Untran about that. Untransmittable. And actually, one of the songs on my new album is "You Equals You" with uh, Tony Enos, who's another uh, AIDS activist and recording artist. Um, uh. It means that, like, if you are undetectable, you cannot pass on the virus if you have sex, unprotected sex with a partner. So, um, but, you know, the problem is, is that this isn't common knowledge. It should be. It should be on news programs. They should be talking about it on talk shows to get the word out. But, and the really terrible part about it is, is that most people of color don't even know about it and don't believe it. Even if they do hear it, they, you know, I, I've talked to so many people, uh, the, my black friends, uh, who I would think would be up on like, okay, this is what's going on medically and blah, blah, blah. And some of them are HIV positive and they don't believe the science. And it's because of it's not out there, like they're not promoting it the correct way. And the only people who really seem to be concerned with it are white gay men. So white gay men are circulating the information and they're also circulating prep and it seems like it's just for them and not for anyone else and that's a, a huge problem so we really need to start getting that information out there and hammering it into everyone that you cannot give the the virus to anyone if you are undetectable and that would also help change disclosure laws because of uh in many places, especially in the U.S. and still some places here in Canada, if you do not disclose that you are HIV positive before you have sex with someone, you can go to jail. If you're undetectable, then that shouldn't be an issue. So if you can prove that you are undetectable at that time, then you shouldn't have to go to jail. But laws haven't been changed, and it's because more people are not out about, about their status, and we're not having these conversations. So... That's part of the reason why I try and go and speak at as many places as possible to have this conversation and to open that door so people can understand what 
disclosure is, what that means for the community at whole. Um, tell, yeah. us a, tell us a little bit about what that means, because I don't, it's, it's not a term that is in most people's vocabulary, except to mean uh, the group that <laughs> has a dance group that had a couple of great songs with Jennifer Hudson and Sam Smith. What? <laughs> Wait, I'm which... <laughs> Disclosure. <laughs> Oh, disclosure. Oh, Lord. I wasn't even thinking. I'm, I'm still thinking of what it means for the community. Disclosure is when you actually tell that you are HIV positive. And I always encourage, uh, my husband and I run a, a Facebook group called Pause Planet. And it is a public group. Uh, so if you join it, everyone can see what it is that you're talking about or doing in it. And we did, did it that way on purpose because of the more people actually are open and talking about this, then uh, it makes it common to everyone. It, it's like if, if I told someone I had cancer, they'd be like, oh, and they would be you sympathetic or whatever. No, I someone, wouldn't. I would laugh. Uh, <laughs> well, that's you because you're a shady cunt. <laughs> <laughs> but for the most part, like I, I want people to realize that this is very common and that there are tons of people out there who are living with this disease, but it doesn't mean it's a death sentence. It doesn't mean that they're out to get you or pass it on to you. Uh, most people are taking their meds and trying hard to, um, you know, stay undetectable and live healthy lives. Um, the one thing I always try and encourage people who uh, talk to me when they first get diagnosed is that this means that it's time for you to start taking care of yourself. Those who continue on partying and, and, you know, there is nothing wrong with having a drink or two or partaking in whatever it is that you like to do. But uh, at excess, that's going to be a problem. And if you have any other health issues, HIV will accelerate it. Mm -hmm. So I'm diabetic. So I had to find the right cocktail of uh, drugs to work with my, diabe my diabetic medicines. Mm. Uh, so these are all things that you have to think about once you are diagnosed. And this is the reason why we try and encourage people to go get tested and know your status because if you can actually save yourself if you know what's going on. But if you don't know and you're still going about, you know, doing things that might not be healthy for you, you're really kind of killing yourself. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, um, substance abuse is um, is often part of being LGBT, and I am no stranger to it, uh, <laughs> having been a wild drunk who also enjoyed drugs for decades. So, um, yeah, that's, that's definitely true. You know, uh, I am, have sometimes been at odds with the medical community um, over... HIV. And, um, you know, you mentioned some of your uh, Black friends who don't believe the science that you can have HIV and take PrEP and not uh, spread it if you're, if you're, so. Well, I, wait, I should clear up something. PrEP is to keep you from getting it. Like you, this is for people who are not HIV positive, but want to protect themselves. Okay. Yeah. So, I, so, so help me understand that, Jade. That's the whole thing is, is this is the other reason why I speak out is that the pharmaceutical companies 
they, they've just basically created customers for life. So you're either on it to, to not get it or you're on it because you have it. And right. both of them work, you know, they're, they're doing the same thing, but just the opposite for those who are not. And they don't care either way. And they're kind of betting on you're going to be positive anyway because those, you know, white gay men, statistically, party. So they might miss a dose, and that's all it takes is missing one dose, and you go out and do something, and you're positive. And and when you look through the fine print on all of that stuff, they can't be sued. They can't, you know, because of you didn't take that, you know, that dose. Right. The other part that's going on, and, uh, you know, my HIV uh, community gets really mad at me for saying this, They've gone, a lot of them have gone back in the closet about their status and lie and say they're on PrEP, but they're actually HIV positive. So, you know, this is, this is the reason why we all need to start having these conversations. Uh, I, uh, a few years ago, I, I was working with someone named Michael Birch, and we came up with an idea for a sex contract. And what it was, it, it wasn't a legal contract, but it was a flyer that we wanted to put out in bars. But it looked like a contract. And each person, the, the, if you were going to pick up someone, you would sign it and disclose. Uh, and it was designed to make people have this conversation. None of the bars wanted up here wanted to do it. Uh, the AIDS organizations were very scared of it. Oh, we can't do that or whatever. I did it at my events for a little while, but like it never caught on. And but like these are the things that we need to start talking about. So I we have to figure out a way to make people actually have conversations, and then people will be safer. But because we allow people to lie, and uh, people are hooking up on sites on these you know sex sites, um, anything is possible. And, you, you know, you can't look at someone and tell if they're HIV positive. You can't, you know, you can't look at them and tell if they're undetectable. You have to take their word for it. So you need to protect yourself as the best as you can. So I totally understand you using condoms because of if that's what makes you feel safe, then that's what you need to do. So it's just hard to find um, the extra small size that I wear. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> when uh, PrEP first started, like, people started talking about it and they were, like, trying to, uh, you know, showing up at a lot of the AIDS organizations. And I was, I was miffed that all these HIV-positive people were pushing it, like, oh, yeah, PrEP, PrEP, PrEP. But then it dawned on me, you know, I'm, I'm married, so, like, you know, I'm not out on the market or whatever, but like HIV positive people were pushing it because of, oh yeah, now we can have sex. So like, you know, if they're on PrEP and I'm undetectable, they're, you know, that's the whole push. But unfortunately they weren't counting on all of the other STDs. So that's where the super gonorrhea and all that stuff comes from is that like, you know, all this barebacking turned into something else. Uh, and, you know, hey, I, I, I am very, very sex positive, and it's great if that's the way that you, if you, I would say at our events or whatever, if you a hoe, just be a safe hoe. Right. You know, do whatever it is that you're going to do, but be safe about it and make sure that you protect yourself and you protect your partner. Don't be selfish, you know. Yeah, so. I mean, I, I've 
I have looked at guidelines on prep sites, like from the from the manufacturers of Truvada and whatever, and they do recommend wearing a condom while using prep, uh, which would uh, guard against you know the, the HIV transmission from the prep, and the condom would stop all of the herpes, syphilis, gonorrhea, and 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 whatnot. But I don't. I I I. I haven't done any research into people's bedrooms, but I feel like prep is more often an, a way to ditch the condoms. Oh yeah, yeah, and that's exactly what gay men are doing: is that they're using it as an excuse. But they're they're sloppy and they do stupid stuff like drugs or whatever, and they miss they miss treatments, they miss a, a pill, and then the next thing you know, they're HIV positive. And the weird thing is, is that, okay, so the people who are not positive, they don't want to think about anyone who is, who is, and they don't want to think about the AIDS organizations or whatever. But suddenly when they need one and they have to go to uh, an AIDS organization for services, then it turns into this whole thing like, oh, the shame and all of these things. This is, again, why the conversations have to be had. Uh, you know, I have a lot of people who are very like, oh, I can't believe that you're so out about your status and don't you worry that someone's going to, I was like, if I told you, then there's nothing else to be said about it. If someone else told you about it and I hadn't told you about it, then that might be a problem. You know, if, you know, if I were sleeping around or whatever, but like, I just, I always, uh, and, you know, try and get people to come out about their status. And, you know, there, there are many of people who won't do it because of their family, religious release reasons, all of those things. Job, the, maybe their job, their job too. But at this point they, they should be protected. Like we live in countries where you should be protected. So if you do come out, you, you know, I, when I first got diagnosed, yes, I could have lost my job. I could have lost my housing, everything. Um, you know, so I, I had to be very careful about who I told, but that was part of the reason that I left Florida and came to New York in 92. Mm -hmm. So, so, um, now I assume this, 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 there were figures to support this. Uh, I don't have them in front of me. I guess the reason why I don't, uh, see the shame in coming out is that in New York City, which, hey, the club scene was fairly tight-knit, I would say. I mean, you know, we, we knew everybody's business, but even outside the club scene and just in just the world of gay men, it was assumed, I mean, you if you were smart, you approach sex as if everyone had HIV because 50% of gay men were infected. Uh, you know, and, and, and I mean, I, I just, I, I mean, so you could, yeah, I mean, there was never going to be that moment of trust with me where some, I was in love with someone, you know, and they said, oh, let me do it without a condom. And if they lived in New York, I mean, I would basically, if they lived anywhere, I would basically say, no, that's not going to happen. That's going to remove my protection. So, you know, over the years, I, I, girl, I was on Craigslist, the T for M 
line uh, when that still existed. And there was literally a guy who, to, who did not want to use a condom, even though I stated that, that was the only way I would hook up. He didn't want to use a condom, and he sent a certificate of his bone marrow to prove that he was HIV negative. And I'm like, do you know how crazy this is? It's like, first of all, you could have gotten HIV the day after you got this bone marrow certificate that you probably <laughs> created. I mean, it's like, I never even heard of that. I, you know, so... <laughs> I, I, My husband uh, has this saying that he always says uh, that once you get that uh, result, it's expired information as soon as you receive it because if you could uh, convert seconds afterwards you know like it, it it doesn't mean anything so like unless you're testing your blood like every single day or whatever um there's no way for you to actually know that you are completely negative like it's it, it, to to an hiv positive person it's just like it's just a matter of time if you're sexually active mm. so you know that I, I, when I lived in New York, I automatically, you know, assumed that everyone was, uh, and, and, you know, and made sure that if I were sleeping with someone, I had this really stupid way of disclosing, but what I would do is take them to the Waverly Diner and I had a, a, a headshot of me in drag. So now I would show them the drag picture first. And if they freaked out over that, then I was like, okay, well, we don't need to go any further. <laughs> 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 you know, so, but if they didn't, then I would tell them about my HIV status and then, you know, we would take it from there if we were going to date or if we were going to hook up or whatever. But, um, yeah, I, 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 I really, this is the part that, uh, of being HIV positive that like I try to stress to young people about there's so much more to it than you take a pill. You, you know, you, you, there's disclosure, there's your health, there's all of these things, and we don't discuss any of them. Mm. So, you know, I, I try to be as real as possible about what it is. And, and also, the other reason that you should be leery of um, PrEP, it's uh, because I live on the same medicines, um, it affects your kidneys and your liver. Uh, so, like, after a while... Because you're taking it every day, but it, you know if you're sexually active every day, then or you're going to be, um, it's going to damage your your organs, and all and they still haven't found all the side effects of all the meds that uh, are out. They keep improving them, but there's still side effects. And I, I was just on a panel last year because I'm not that far behind you in age. Um, there, um, HIV positive people who are living longer. So on this panel were HIV positive people who were like 75 and the, you know, they talked about the damage that the, the meds have done. It's kept them alive, but it's damaging them along the way. And so they have to monitor their kidneys and they have to monitor their liver and keep up with all of these things. So it's not a walk in the park and it's not as beautiful and easy as the TV commercials make it look. You're, you know, there is a lot involved in it. And so you really should be taking better care of yourself. I, the analogy I always say is um, death becomes her. That movie, it, it's really about taking care of yourself. If you don't take care of yourself, then you're going to get cracks and you're going to break. And that's, you know, what's going on. Enough about my face. <laughs> 
Um, no, I, I, I did want to read uh, a little something from uh, BuzzFeed News. Uh, actually, this is this is the, the, the next article. So th this is um, Truvada is an antiretroviral medication that doctors prescribe for the prevention and treatment of HIV infections. However, the drug can have some serious side effects for patients, including liver damage. According to the Food and Drug Administration, there is proof of a link between liver damage and Truvada use. While some of those taking the medication may only experience mild liver damage, others could have severe problems, including liver failure. The FDA also mentions a potential link between Truvada and liver cancer. And they have a, a bunch of, of symptoms that you can look for, including jaundice, yellowing of the skin and whites of one's eyes, urine that is dark or tea-colored, the always lovely holiday light-colored stools, <laughs> um, appetite loss for an extended period, I wish, nausea and uh, pain in the stomach area. So those are, I mean, because, you know, and if you are on PrEP, you are supposed to go to your doctor in order to keep getting the prescription uh, to check out liver function because uh, Truvada can, uh, you know, negatively affect the liver. And especially as Jade is saying, you are living on it to the age of something like 75. That's that's going to be decades on PrEP. That these are all things that they don't show you in the commercial or tell you, or if or if so, it's at the fine, fine print at the very end of the commercial. Uh, you really, really need to think about what you're doing to your body. Um, you know, I'm I'm on these meds because if I want to live and live as healthy as possible, but it's still damaging along the way. You know, and because I'm diabetic, we really have to monitor my kidneys and everything else. And I, and, and uh, to be honest with you, I have, uh, some kidney damage now. Uh, and so I have lowered kidney function because of the HIV and my diabetes. Yeah. So, you know. well, I mean, I, to, 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 I, I grew up with, um, with the constant message that we should be tested, that we should be tested. And at the time I had a very, uh, great doctor who knew me, understood me, knew that my nurse, my mother was a nurse and that doesn't make me a health expert, but it makes me in tune to a few things. And so, you know, it was just like they urged everyone to get a test. I didn't want to get a, an HIV test, um, be even though I was very sexually active because I'm, I'm a hypochondriac or bordering on one. And, uh, you know, I thought that if I were diagnosed with HIV, the way that my mind works, especially on weed, uh, when I get paranoid, <laughs> I would think, as I already thought, that every pimple was a lesion, every bruise was a KS uh, lesion, mm -hmm. every cold was going to be the, the dry cough associated with, you know, HIV. And so what I did um, is I told my doctor... I don't want to get an HIV test, but here's what I do want to do. I want to um, you to monitor my white blood cells to determine if there is any uh, change in them indicating an infection or a roaring infection. And at the same time, I will monitor myself 
from things that I did not ever get, like com common symptoms of, of AIDS, which were uh, diarrhea, night sweats. Girl, you know I ain't had no weight loss. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and, 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 and stuff like that. And he said, well, this is very unorthodox, but you do seem to be on top of your um, health. And he would still offer me the HIV test every time because people slip up no matter. Right. I mean, I told, I told him the only, I'm not because, honey, you know, I was messy and, you know, I was turning many tricks a night, but I, there was always a condom on that dick. Um, you know, so, you know, that, that, and I did not get an HIV test until I was in Los Angeles, uh, because I, they had a, a, a free, no questions asked testing thing. I believe it was sponsored by, uh, an organization that was doing research on how HIV is transmitted in cahoots with drug use. Mm. So, so it would, you could walk in not even give your name, give a number and, and come out and get the test. And honey, I went there with a friend. He gave me a Valium cause I was probably like 44, 45 before I got my first HIV test. Of course they were, had glee uh, playing on the TV screen in the waiting room. And, and we were uh, watching, they were singing, don't stop believing. And of course, oh, God. I was trying to parody it with don't stop receiving infected semen just because I'm trash. Oh, my and my friend was HIV positive. So we, we were, we, you know, at any rate, um, we, uh, <laughs> then, then a, a guy came to the door with a pit bull and said, is, is she okay here? Like, going to leave him? And I was like, so I'm, I'm going to get my test results, and it's going to be negative, but I'm going to be mauled to death by a fucking pit bull at the testing site. <laughs> I, I was like, this is a... Com so at any rate, um, you know, only, only that way was I comfortable getting the test because everyone in New York that tested your name your information does go somewhere on a government whatever. And at that point, a uh, uh, Republican presidential candidate, John McCain, who is sometimes thought of as a moderate, but I thought of as a rotten uh, sellout, um, he had just chosen Sarah Palin to be his running mate. And I mean, I was watching videos of her online, literally importing a witch doctor from Africa uh, to pray her into the governorship of Alaska, to pray her into other... I mean, this was just, I mean, literally a witch doctor combining with the Christian faith in Alaska. So no, 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 I did not want that bitch or anyone who represent that kind of thinking, you know, the, the, uh, having my health data. One of the things that I'm trying to work towards here, unfortunately, is just the opposite of what you're talking about. And it is, um, I have like three different doctors, but they, because of the laws here, they can't communicate with each other. So mm. like, it would be a lot easier for me. Like, I don't care at this point. I don't care who knows what's going on with me medically, as long as my doctors can talk to each other. Uh, and, you know, the government knows I'm HIV positive. Uh, I'm on programs, so they obviously they know. Um, so, it, it, you know, for some, it is a different story. 
uh, I'm not bothered by governments knowing that I'm HIV positive or whatever because of it's not going to change anything. But it yeah. will change something for me if my doctors could all communicate with each other. So those, that's one of the things that I'm advocating for right now is that getting all of these, because they have really, really strict privacy laws. If they have laws here in Canada for HIV positive people that they can't disclose at work. Mm. Like, and they work in AIDS organizations. I'm like, oh. that is the craziest thing that I've ever heard in my entire life. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> well, so. um, I wanted to touch on something else that you brought up about this disclosure contract, which is something that you tried for a while in clubs to just open a conversation. And mm -hmm. uh, this reminds me of something that Larry Kramer uh, spoke about in a, an address called The Tragedy of Today's Gays. Now, it was a searing and finger-pointing speech. I was in tears throughout that speech. But he, he was urging us to care about each other more. He was urging us to just not use each other as holes or, or something to stick in each other's holes, especially at that time um, when there were uh you, you know there there was much less certainty with the drugs i don't remember exactly what was going on with the uh, with with the at what point in the cocktail or I, I believe it was working but you know he was asking questions in front of a room of gay men uh some who were promiscuous some maybe not um but he was saying things like i i ran around you know when i was hiv positive and i was having unprotected sex how many did I kill? Because I didn't know my status and I didn't know what I was doing. And of course, as we both know, HIV can be transmitted, but then you, it, it, it can have a 12-year incubation period. So as you mentioned earlier, there is no way to look at someone, you know, they can look healthy and still be able to, you know, transmit HIV to you or vice versa. But, yeah. but do, do you see, do you see any, I mean, maybe I'm making a bad connection, but so what I'm trying to say is that you said this disclosure thing, which is basically, I care about you. That's basically like, we are good. There is going to be hooking up and I do care about you, but I'm wondering because you've worked in clubs for decades as a DJ, as a performer, is that not the mess? Is this is kind of fucked up to say is, is the message I care about you not something that we want in the bright lights and the darkness and the sex clubs and the, you know, drag shows and the let's get drunk and the, it is, is, are our safe spaces, you know, do, do they not want to even really go into that? I mean, what, what it, what it, would it hurt their business if somebody said, Hey, here's a guy with jello shots in a G-string, and here's a guy that wants to give you a contract to urge open conversation about the spread of disease and status and all of this and what you're taking and you know, blah 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 blah. Um, you know, the problem that I see, and this is it, it I was having a conversation with someone else about um being black 
and in America and the trauma of what that means from slavery till now. And for gay people, I think the trauma of having to hide, that became part of the, the, the thrill. So the, you know, the, the, the people who like to have sex out, out at the park and the rambles, the people who like dark rooms and, and uh, who used to go out on the pier and all that, I, you know, I've been to all of those places. Same here. So, Same here. Yeah. So uh, that's part of the, it becomes part of the culture. So then it's hard to change that. Yes, I, I, I wish that people were actually having conversations and, and caring about each other and their partners, but there are a bunch of people who have been conditioned to this is their sex life uh, and this is how they do it. And that's part of it. And, and the, the conversation, that would kill it. So it, it's it's really hard to do this, and I am you know I. Um... If you are someone like me, who doesn't necessarily have sex with people who identify as gay, who are on the down low or whatever, I mean, they may not even know what prep is. This is this this makes it you know like you you I mean like listen don't laugh listeners, but I mean if somebody is considering me a woman and they're considering themselves a straight man, well then no you're not going to hand them, they don't know what GMHC is. <laughs> they don't know what, well, they, they, right. they, don't, they, they don't know what prep is and they, they don't know why a woman, you know, would need to be I mean, even though they, of course they know that I'm not a woman that's what in, in their fantasy head, but also I'm just trying to think of another situation where, so you're in the rambles and you meet somebody and you're you're basically pulling your cock out and somebody's sucking it or whatever quickly you're not even no you're not even asking their name because you wouldn't give a real name anyway and you know you're certainly not taking the time to say are you on prep and and to be quite honest i just don't know why anybody would believe somebody that said that if 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 missing a dose can be so consequential. I mean, that's something that you would really say like you did at the Waverly Diner and and say like, you know, we've ob- we've ob- obviously met each other. We're we we've, we've taken it beyond let's leave the nightclub or let's leave the street corner we met and go a little bit closer into each other's world where we see what each other's table manners are over dinner, you know, talk about right. the 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 drag thing. You know, I mean, I I just think it's it's it, isn't it wild that that we're not um, always able to be open, and that maybe some of our safe spaces that peddle fantasy, and hey, you gotta you gotta peddle something to get people to pay a cover charge, um, would that that wouldn't be at home there when it's such a basic concern? Now you are now teaching. Tell me about that. Where? And what you oh, were teaching? Uh, and- yeah, I, I began a residency at the University of Toronto for the Queer and Trans Research Lab. Uh, and actually, this Friday, uh, I'm actually doing my first big presentation. Uh, but uh, I, I'm basically teaching community leadership. So uh, I have an uh, a undergrad student who's been assigned to me as an assistant. And uh, we meet every week and we go over things. And I tell her about... Uh, the magazine that I do, I produce a, a, ma- a monthly magazine, online magazine called Pause Planet, mm-hmm. and uh, you download it. Uh, and uh, I have, uh, uh, because of this uh, 
residency actually now can afford to have a small staff. So I pay a few writers uh, mm -hmm. to write for it. Uh, but, uh, and I also write for it as well. Uh, and, uh, and we're also working, as I said, on the Pause Awards, which is the biggest uh, gathering that we do each year at a, a place called Buddies and Bad Times. Uh, it's a theater. Uh, and they're very nice enough to donate the space to us every year to uh, hold our awards. Um, and, uh, and I talk about like what it is, uh, you know, what it is to give back to the community, because I think we often take from the community, but we don't, uh, everyone's not thinking about giving back. And, you know, a, a lot of people look at me strange when I tell them that I, I don't make a dime off of any of this. Like, you know, when, when I put these events together, when I do the awards or whatever, this is all donations. I go and knock on doors and ask people to donate. Uh, and I also, you know, I've made something out of nothing, but it's turned into like, this is our eighth um, Pazteo Awards this year. Uh, and it's, you know, but I, I created the awards because of a lot of the people who work in HIV and AIDS. It's thankless work. They do all this work and no one knows their name. No one thanks them. No one, you know, I mean, maybe a coworker or something. So this is my way of giving back and putting a spotlight on them and hopefully inspiring someone out there to follow in their footsteps. Mm -hmm. Because of that's the other part that's going on is that everybody now wants to be a Kardashian. They want to sit around and take pictures and no one wants to do the work. There's a lot of work that needs to be done in order for us to end AIDS and to end a lot of things, racism, everything. Uh, so who's going to do that work? Who's going to be the next, you know, Martin Luther King? Who's going to be the next Arthur Ashe or, or any of these people who've made a, an impact and a difference? Uh, so, I, you know, that's the reason why I try to speak as much as I can. Well, now, you have taken your songs. Some are parodies, like Changing Unforgettable to Undetectable, to uh, bitch tracks, to a cover of Love Hangover, uh, mm -hmm. to, uh, I, I've never heard your vocals sound better than on A Little Bit of House. Uh, oh, thank you. You know, and, and, you, and this, th these have all been remixed that are coming out on a new album, which is out. Well, okay, so a lot of those are on different labels. So Love Hangover is on uh, Super Queen Records, and um, uh, a little bit of House is actually on Trax Records okay. out of Chicago. Uh, but the album that just came out, uh, Legendary Darling, it's on I Underground Records. Mm -hmm. And uh, it for me, it's an accomplishment because of for the longest time, I did a bunch of recordings back in the 90s, but I didn't have the rights to them. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and they got remixed and re-released and all this stuff, and I never saw a dime for them. So I fought really hard to find the original producer, and we came to an agreement, and he gave me the, the masters. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so, um, so the album starts off with my early tracks, and then it goes into Undetectable and U equals U, and then after that is all new tracks. So, uh, so it's kind of a... It, it, it's like a snapshot of my recording career, hopefully. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so yeah. And uh, I, I'm thrilled that finally, oh, uh, like Bitch You Look Fierce, uh, which has been an underground hit and people have been playing it for a long time, was never officially released. And it was because it had a sample of uh, Things Just Ain't the Same in it. 
Okay. Uh, so I, I actually wrote to Hex Hector, and he actually gave me permission to use it. Because oh, uh, nice. I, yeah, I, I told him I was like, look, I'm a poor black child, uh, uh, trans, not trans, uh, drag queen in um, in in Canada, living in public housing, honey. I ain't got no money. So, <laughs> so, you know, but I really would love to release a song because it's been out for a long time and it's never had an official release. And he was, he listened to it and he was like, oh, I love this. This is great. So, uh, I was very lucky in that aspect. And so, um, your, a, a lot of your stuff is bitch tracks. Why are you gagging? You peed? Um, you know, uh, what, 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 who inspired you to do, uh, you know, bitch tracks? I, mean, I, I used to be the DJ at Jay's. Okay. And, uh, and Kevin Aviance and Franklin Fuentes were regulars who would come in. And I would always try and ask them about, like, oh, could you bring me promos of your stuff? I would love to play your stuff here, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, girl... They're there for the after party, honey. So they were not trying to see or hear me. I was a nobody. Mm. And so they would, you know, they would give me attitude or whatever. And so I was telling my friend Calvin Roberts about it. Uh, and, and he was like, well, you need, you know, the way you just said that, you should put that on a record. And I was like, really? And he was like, yeah, 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 we could do this. So that's how it started. And I recorded them. I recorded Why Are You Gagging to play when they came in. Okay. <laughs> because I make references to both of them in that song. Right. And of course, they it went over their heads. They didn't even know that I was talking about them or whatever. But we got the record signed to Progressive High Records, uh, which was a division of Atlantic, and um, uh, totally got screwed on that deal. They handed us like $2,000 and we were on our way. They took the record and sold it overseas and uh, compilations and all that stuff. I never saw a dime from it after that. Um, so... It was, you know, I started doing it because of I wanted to kind of get back at them. Uh, but I never thought that it was going to mean anything or whatever. But, like, uh, by the time we got to Bitch You Look Fierce, uh, and, and actually, I, you know, I premiered Why Are You Gagging at um, Wigstop. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 that was so nice of you. Uh, I do share with some people the story of how um, that came about. I won't share it here. I don't care. <laughs> Oh, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I, it was the year that you were doing Wig Knot, and um, uh, I showed up with Chicklet, who was scheduled to perform, and I, I was like, hey, I, you know, I could do a number because I knew that people uh, like Kevin Avias and all the others were late, and so you didn't have performers, and I, I volunteered, and you looked at me and turned right around and walked away. And the thing that you didn't know is that I had your phone number. <laughs> <laughs> so when I got home, I went over and performed at um, um, Head of Lettuce's uh, Dragapalooza mm -hmm. over in the park. And then when I got home, I left you a nice little nasty message uh, telling you that, you know, I showed up to, to do, you know, volunteer and you were really rude. And, you know, and I'm thinking, well, I'll never see Wigstock uh, and she'll never speak to me again. But at least I said what I needed to say. And uh, you actually called me the next day and apologized. And I was floored like you could have knocked me over with a feather because I totally was not thinking that I one that I would ever hear from you. And uh, and that, too, that you would apologize. 
Um, and that's how we sort of became friends. That's, uh, and you told me that the next year that I would have a spot and, you know, and I was like, she's just being polite. I know this isn't going to really happen, but it did. So, uh, thank you okay. very much. Okay. Wait, hold the press. Bunny was nice once. Bunny was apologized. Bunny admitted that she was wrong. This is something that I did in my 30s. It did not follow me past it. No, it well, actually, I'll tell another tale that goes before that. Once okay. you sent me a videotape of you and Harmonica and Sybil Barrington, you had a, mm -hmm. a, a girl drag group that was performing. Um, when was this, the late 80s? Uh, no, this is still, this is the early 90s. Early uh, it was the, yeah. And so you sent me um, a videotape of all of your performance, and I did do something that was shady, although as a producer, <laughs> sometimes you make these decisions. I didn't book you. I booked Harmonica, because I, I love that <laughs> number that she did as Ella Fitzgerald. <laughs> <laughs> So there's always a danger when you send somebody a videotape and you're not the only one on it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, ask Brenda K. Starr. <laughs> <laughs> so now um, you have always been great at uh, playing LGBT artists. That's one thing nobody can take from you, whether it's Harmonica Sunbeam record or you know, my record or Ari Gold or, you know, whatever, you know, you, you're, you're always good at playing that. I, I don't always see that, um, that vibe. I don't always see that the, the, the vibe of people embracing LGBT artists and a lot of gays, gay audiences tend to buy what they're sold rather than to, have a look at their what's going on in their own community. I think I think that I get that from uh, Florida, living in Tampa. Like uh, groups like Expose and Lime and all those stuff, they would come through often. And, and like you know, and the way that I it was sort of like especially because of uh, Expose was like a Florida group. The idea was that if we don't support our own, then who will? Right. So that's the way that I look at our gay artists. I try very hard to put as many gay artists in my sets as possible. Uh, I do, uh, for the magazine, I do uh, an article called Ear Candy. And uh, each month I feature like new artists or new remixes or new releases. Uh, um, so even old things that get remixed, I try and throw those in as well to try and educate um, and, uh, but I, I, I love supporting our community and commu and our artists because I know how hard it is to get someone to play your records. I'm a recording artist myself and I know what's it like, you know, meant the world to me when Danny Tenegula played, why are you gagging? Um, like he invited me to the tunnel and mm -hmm. he, I went up to the booth and he played it for me while I was in the booth. That meant the world to me. Um, you know, so I just want people to know that there is somebody out there who is trying to support and play your stuff. Now, I, I you know, I can't play everybody's stuff and not everybody's stuff is great. So, <laughs> but I... <laughs> In translation, Jade can be a cunt. <laughs> but I do try to play everyone's stuff in some setting or another. Like, I and I do a Twitch... 
uh, video show on the weekends uh, on Saturdays and Sundays. Saturday is more of an open fr uh, format from 3 to 5, and Sunday is a Sunday tea dance um, feel, so uh, from 3 to 5. And, uh, and so if you have music videos, I, I will try and work those in as well. Um, but, you know, I... I don't know. I'm just old school that way. I just feel like we need to do more for each other and, and really support each other so we can thrive. We're, we're getting so mean and so hateful. Everybody is so bitchy and nasty with each other. And, uh, you know, the lyrics to songs now are all like, you know, fighting. And I, I just I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Uh, and which is funny coming from someone who does bitch tracks, but most of the time when I do a bitch track, it's literally at aimed at someone who's done something to me. Uh, mm -hmm. But I just make it general. So my track Karma talks about people who owe me money mm -hmm. and have owed me money for years. <laughs> you know, right? And I, I mean, I, I respect that. That's part of your artistry, and a good read is a good read. I think there's there's one in that song about a promoter that didn't. Hey, is that the one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, lost his iPhone. And um, uh, I think I say something like, uh, uh, as long as you owe me, I'll never be broke. We've been wanting to have you on for months. And uh, folks, Monet did pop in just to say hi. She is recovering from a vocal surgery, which she can tell you all about when the doctor allows her to speak. So, um uh, we are delighted to have you on Jade, and or as I like to call you, Shade. And I hope that you will all check out Legendary Darling, which is a lot of Jay's uh, club music, bitch tracks, uh, Undetectable. The cover is on there, and you know. Uh, oh, she'll probably kill me if I don't mention it. The cover is shot by Jennifer Greylock. Uh, it was. Uh, it's a photo done on 14th Street, like back in the 90s. And I'm wearing Dorian Corey's fringe dress in that picture. Oh my god! Well, yeah, yeah. You all, you Lots like a lot of fringe. I do. I do. Okay. <laughs> You're your own fringe festival. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jade, and good oh, luck with your events coming up. Please check out Jade Electra or uh, DJ uh, Alfonso King. Not DJ Relentless anymore. No, it is DJ Relentless. What are you talking about? Alfonso King's my real name. <laughs> I know, but I didn't know if you, well, I mean, if you have all these, well, so you don't want people necessarily to check out Alfonso King's page because that's you and your friends. You want them to check out Jade Electra, well, which is your music. If you, and me, if you type in Jade Electra or DJ Relentless, you'll still get a page with Alfonso with those names in parentheses. So it doesn't matter. Oh, but uh, I always I always joke that it's the witness protection plan. That's so right. that's why I have so many names. <laughs> well, uh, this this is uh, <laughs> this is something that that we see a lot in the black community. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I will uh, just end on one quick thing. So you live in Toronto now with your husband, and you've yes. been up there for how long? Uh, this I'm heading into 13 years. Okay. So on Fox News, uh, they are on there screaming every day that Democrats are socialists, Marxists, and whatnot because 
a few, and I do mean a few, want to have a healthcare system similar to what you have in Canada. Um, mm -hmm. Can you tell me what changed when you went to Canada in terms of healthcare? Uh, well, for me, especially since I had no health care, uh, I actually have doctors who are trying to prevent anything happening to me. What, what, uh, nothing against Cal and Lord, but the doctors, ones, they have a, a major caseload of a bunch of people that come there. So they're maintaining people. The other thing that I found out was that the meds that you get when you're on ADAP are the last generation of meds. So... My doctor here, when he looked at my meds, he's like, why do they have you on this? this we don't use this anymore. Uh, and, it, and it had like side effects that like they were known. But th what happens in, uh, with ADAP is all the meds that come out that they, that, like a new med uh, replaces one. So all those things are still sitting around somewhere. So rather than throw them out, they give them to the people who can't afford the meds. So, I mean, that's, that's a good thing, but like, it was nice to actually find out like what was wrong with me. Like I, I used to have like a, a major belly and I couldn't figure out why, no matter what I did. And it was one of the meds that I was on. It was making me retain fluids. Oh, I must be on that med. They must be slipping me that. That's why yeah, my stomach might. is so huge. Yes, yes. <laughs> Look at that. I mean, I hope I'm not pregnant because we can't get abortions anymore. <laughs> um, so I wanted to just bring this up to you. Um, this is an article from BuzzFeed, and I don't know if you are aware of this uh, religious freedom argument, but I first heard it brought up during Republican George W. Bush, where he said that because of religious freedom— you can refuse certain services. So in other words, if you are a born-again Christian or Muslim uh, and you don't approve of homosexuals, then you do not have to dispense with HIV meds. If you are a Scientologist and you don't believe in antidepressants and you're a pharmacist, you do not have to dispense with them because it goes against your religion. I mean, the, if, if you don't believe in uh, extramarital sex, you could refuse to, to sell a woman condoms. I mean, this, there's, no, uh, there's no way for this to end. It's a way for conservatives to skirt laws where uh, pharmacists prescribe stuff for people, what they need, and it doesn't have anything to do with your religious freedom. You're a pharmacist. So the doctor, not you, pharmacist, prescribes something for someone, and you fill that prescription. They're trying to, to say that it is, uh, it is um, th th this is being used again on PrEP. And I, you don't live here, so I don't know... Um, that you're aware that this popped up on September 7th, 2022. This is a report from BuzzFeed News. Uh, a federal judge ruled Wednesday that requiring employers to provide coverage for PrEP drugs that prevent HIV transmission violates their religious rights. U.S. District Judge Reed O'Connor in the Northern District of Texas ruled that a mandate to provide PrEP 
subs, quote, substantially burdens the religious exercise, unquote, of litigants under the Religious Freedom Act. So they're trying this again. And, you know, it should be noted that even though the consumers in the U.S. do not pay it, the cost of PrEP is around 1800 to 2000 per month. So this is... These are Christian people saying we don't want to to have to pay that large expense, monthly expense, you know, for life because it violates our religious stuff. I, I'm going to pray that you don't. I don't not religious, but I'm not, that you don't have that. That religious people are not that close to your healthcare system in Canada. No, they are not. <laughs> it, 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 doesn't work, it doesn't work that way here. Um, there's like literally, honestly, I mean, it is almost spooky sometimes, um, uh, how things work here, especially if, if, if someone is being treaded on, those are the ones who are going to win. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so like, like I had a, uh, we had a, a trans neighbor downstairs who for five years terrorized us with noise like she would not take her meds. She had a drug problem. She did all this stuff and they would not put her out because she was trans because the city would not, does not want someone to say that they put her out because she was trans. That's the kind of mentality that goes on here. Mm. So it's, it's, it's way different. So no one could like pull that. Uh, PrEP is such an important drug to the community, straight and gay that, that couldn't happen here. Mm. It, it just couldn't. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. There's, there's a lot of people at every election say, this doesn't turn out right. I'm moving to Canada. And you actually <laughs> did it and you're reaping the rewards. And Shane, I've wanted to have you on for absolute ages. Uh, we don't always get on our schedule with Ebony and Irony to actually time something right before <laughs> it happens, like December 1st. And actually, this will come out, you know, right before that. And then, you know, they can check you out and, and see what you're doing. And I hope you will all enjoy dancing to Legendary Darling. Thank you very much. And thank you for having me. Uh, I, I hope that... Um, uh, Monet uh, recovers soon and quickly and uh, is back up to speed uh, to get the show going. Um, what are you and, saying? Are uh, you saying that it wasn't going with just me? <laughs> we've talked for, we've talked for two hours straight. Now I know. The, oh, oh, it's because I'm white, isn't it? <laughs> No, it's because you're blonde. Oh, honey, you ain't seen me lately. I'm gray, okay? <laughs> I wish I was blonde. The, the, uh, anyway. All right, well, Shade, have a wonderful holiday and a six, successful new year. Okay. And, uh, and you know, I would love uh, to maybe one day record something with you. Let's do it. Okay. Do All it. right. All right, my, honey. My Will you take my care? Producer, my producer, Eric uh, Elias, really loves uh, your stuff. And uh, we've talked about it, so let's make it happen. I've heard that he also is interested in fucking me. Just the rumor. Uh, oh. Just the rumor. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. oh, it's time to go. Bye. It's time to go. <laughs>
Podcast Network.